0: Hey, welcome to the Christmas edition of More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and I'm your host for this five times a week dive into Scripture. If you're newer to the podcast, More Than Bread comes from a challenge given in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. People shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, stuff is not enough, not even good stuff that feeds our stomachs, not even Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner. We need food for our soul if we're going to thrive. We need more than bread. In the New Testament, this challenge was given by Jesus, who is called the bread of life, and not coincidentally, was also called the word. So the word of God that was with God and is God, in Jesus, the bread of life and the word of God come together in a most wondrous and remarkable way, which is why I value the word. Big caps. Because in the words of God, we come face to face with the bread of life. And and honestly, that's that's part of what I hope is taking place for me and you. I, I don't want these 15 to 20-minute dives into Scripture to just be interesting or, or even inspiring. I, I certainly don't want them to be mere information. Not that any of that is bad, but I, I'm just hoping that through them there are at least occasional moments when we have that sense of coming face-to-face with Jesus. So this is episode number 206 of More Than Bread, and day three of our Advent series. We will come back to Philippians chapter three. If you joined us back there, Paul's letters from prison, we'll come back there in about 15 to 20 episodes. But for now, it's a Christmas pause, an Advent series. We're investing a few episodes looking at Christmas previews in the Old Testament, and and then we'll spend a, a few more episodes in the Gospel of Matthew and a few in Luke and probably even give the Apostle John a closing word or two. Now, in the last episode, we looked at Isaiah 61. And for the second episode, we envisioned the ripple effect of Christmas, right? The the ripple caused by heaven, Jesus from heaven being dropped into the ocean of earth, the ripple of Christ through the centuries. And in this episode, we're gonna take in one more Christmas preview from the prophet Isaiah. I, I love Isaiah. We're gonna focus on Isaiah 64, Not a typical Christmas passage necessarily, but I really believe that Isaiah 64 gives us the heart of a Christmas prayer, one that Isaiah prayed as he looked forward to the coming of God in Christ. So listen as I read Isaiah 64, verses 1 through 9 in the New International Version. It's it's really part of a prayer, and Isaiah prays this, Oh, that you, God, would you rend the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and, and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. But since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God like you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. You've given us over to our sins." And yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, and we are all the work of your hand. This Christmas prayer is a lament. It's a, how long will you wait, O Lord, kind of prayer. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. In 1940, with all the wisdom and experience that a 42-year-old man could muster, Lewis tackled the problem of pain and suffering. As World War II raged, many were struggling with the apparent absence of God in the midst of so much suffering and pain and evil. So Lewis wrote the book, The Problem of Pain. It was an analytical study of the theological and philosophical answers to the questions of God's goodness in hard times. Actually, from my perspective, it's not one of his best books. But 12 years later, Lewis met Joy Davidman. He'd he'd never been married, and had told many that he never wanted to be married, but Joy won his heart. She was a writer from New York with a personality that matched her name. They, They wrote letters. She visited England, and years later, they were married. While they were courting, Joy discovered she had cancer. In fact, it was in the painful process of discovering that he might lose her that Lewis realized how much he loved her and they got married. The cancer went into remission, and they had two incredible years together, and then the cancer came back with a vengeance, and Joy died. 20 years earlier, he had analyzed the problem of pain, and and now he was experiencing God's silence in the midst of his suffering. In those private moments of his greatest lament, Lewis wrote a different book, A Grief Observed. In it, he, he says things that sound a whole lot like the laments and the psalms and the prayers of God's people. In, in the midst of his pain, Lewis found God to be distant and silent. Lewis is lamenting when he writes these words, but go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence, he wrote. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. That's a lament. Isaiah 64 is a part of a prayer, a corporate prayer. In the Old Testament times, corporate prayers were often used as a part of worship, corporate worship. They were spoken together or spoken over the community of faith. But but Isaiah 64 is not just a corporate prayer. It's a lament. It's a corporate prayer of lament. And a lament is a prayer that cries out to God in desperation for his presence. It's a prayer that pounds on the locked gates of heaven. It's a prayer of deep pain, intense frustration, and confusion even about the the absence of God. And and yet a lament is not just a hopeless cry of a discouraged people or venting of frustration or or murmuring and and complaining. A a lament actually is meant to be a profound statement of faith in God. A, A lament hurls its hurt to God with a conviction of faith, and the expectancy of hope that God can do something. That that because God is God, all is not lost, so we need not give up. In fact, a, a lament is less like the surrender of hope, and it's more like a fight with God. It's a fight with God for more God. And if you think about it, perhaps more than any other type of prayer that could be associated with Christmas, a lament is a Christmas prayer. You know, that first Christmas came after 400 years of God's silence. The last word spoken by God through the prophet Malachi to the people of God, Israel, when we came when he, when he said, surely the day of the Lord is coming. 400 years later, there had been no day of the Lord, no words from God, no pillar of fire at night, no burning bushes, angelic messengers or, or prophets, only war, oppression, and poverty. And I, I guarantee you when the people of God gathered more than a time or two, they prayed the lament in Isaiah 64. Oh God, that you would burst from the heavens, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Let the mountains quake in your presence. Let let the, the the water boil, let, let your coming make the nations tremble, and, and then your enemies will learn the reason for your fame. They'll know your name. Now, please don't hear these words as a whispered hope or a private moment of wistful pondering. He, hear them as, as the fight of faith, fighting for faith, fighting for more God. In this prayer, the people are lamenting God's absence. They're crying for God to come down. Now listen, this cry does not mean that people thought God lived up in the clouds or out there somewhere. In fact, the Israelites had already developed a very healthy theology of God's presence, and, and yet they still had a sense of God's absence, God's silence in the midst of their groaning. Sometimes life takes us through those times, right? I, I like how another pastor put it in a sermon on this fight with God for his presence. He said, We live our lives in the tension between our theology and our biography, between the tension of what we hope to be true about God and what we actually experience in our day-to-day lives that can often be filled with heartache, hardship, and unexpected pain or loss. this, This tension is found in almost every chapter of Scripture, and And in many of the chapters of our lives, these words are a few thousand years old, but hasn't some version of that lament come out of your mouth in the midst of difficult times? And listen to me, it's okay. In fact, sometimes I think one reason why people don't take Christians seriously is because we have lost our heart to lament. Sometimes it seems we don't take the world's pain seriously. We don't take each other's pain seriously. The other night at Calvary, we had a blue Christmas service. It was an opportunity for people together who had experienced grief and loss. So many of them, the the, the loss of a, a friend, a husband, a, a, a death kind of loss. But but many others just the loss of a dream or the loss of 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 a relationship. Sometimes it seems we don't take the world's pain seriously. We have this, "Don't worry, God is here and He'll work it out." middle-class sweetness. But what if God wants us to lament? What if God wants us to come together and grieve together? What if God wants us to cry out when he's silent? What if he wants us to fight for his presence together, to wrestle with God for more of God? Let me ask you, have you ever had a moment where it felt like you were fighting with God? Maybe it was a night when you couldn't sleep, facing a difficulty in your life so overwhelming that you could almost physically feel it in your gut. It it deposited this pain and uncertainty in the very core of your soul. It was like you were physically fighting something or someone. I don't know. I think more than a few of us have had some times like that in the last few years, right? Am I the only one? Have you ever felt like you were fighting with God for more of God? I mean, look through history and you'll find literally hundreds of stories of people wrestling with God, finding themselves in the middle of an experience with a silent God, heavens like brass. St. John of the Cross called it a dark night of the soul. You're not the only one. I think most all of us have had some of those moments. Sometimes it's even more pronounced at Christmas this time when everyone tells us we should be merry and glad. But listen, Jesus was born into a time and a culture that was everything but merry and glad. He, he came to a time when the people of God were wrestling with the absence of God. And I, I've had some moments like that. I remember when Pastor Paul Grable died, his Probably my best friend in ministry. Maybe my best friend. I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't just that I was losing a friend and a family was losing their husband and father or church was losing its pastor. It was a wrestling and a fighting for the city because that's what Paul and I dreamed and schemed about. Man, i tell you, in those first few months after he died, I had a few knocked down, put him up, yelling matches with God, praying at the top of my lungs. <laughs> crying and yelling. One night, I remember I was driving, and it just started pouring out not the nice, spiritual, reverent words of prayer we learn in church, more like the R-rated words of a lament. In fact, a few of the words were words we tell our kids they can't say. I think some of us can't even imagine an R-rated prayer. We shake our heads, I don't think that's nice, Dan, but But what if God wants us to lament? What if he wants us to be real with him in prayer? Ben Patterson once said that whenever you get bored with prayer, it's probably a good sign that God is bored too (laughs) because you're not bringing the real you. I mean, what if God wants us to bring the real you to show up face-to-face with our real face? I mean, how can we come face-to-face with God if we're not willing to show him our face? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. This is not just a lament of God's absence. It's a plea for up there to come down here. Rend the heavens and come down. This is a cry now for Christmas. Oh, God, would you bring Christmas this year, more Christmas? God, send us more Christ, more presents. Rend the heavens and bring more Christ into my home, my neighborhood, my work, my school. Honestly, shouldn't there be times when what is happening down here so affects our hearts that it brings a lament to our lips? Not a lament of judgment, but a lament of compassion. Maybe a lament of anger at the hopelessness and the darkness. See, if we want more Christmas, we I think we need to be a people who lament what is happening down here and wrestle with God for more of up there. I'm I'm telling you, I I believe this with all my heart. What's up there comes down here when we travail in prayer, when we lament with hope. We we lament as a people of hope because we believe that we believe that how it is now is not. It's not what is yet to come. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if up there came down here? Every marriage would be healthy. Those with little would receive from those who have too much. People at work would compliment each other behind their backs. Social media would be filled with accounts of courage and words of grace and authentic moments of failure No more need for divorce courts or pregnancy resource centers or foster homes. Every time a a child was touched, it would be to encourage or comfort, to celebrate or protect. Every kid would have a family and every family would love its neighbors. No more school shootings. Martin Luther King Day would be a day of gratitude for all that's been accomplished rather than a day of grieving for all that may never come to pass. If up there came down here, think of the addictions that would disappear, the wounded hearts that would be healed. Instead of shame, people would discover that they are a beloved masterpiece of God, created by God for a good purpose. And in the midst of it all, the presence of God would make every other blessing pale in comparison, because ultimately, this lament comes from a hunger for God's presence. It's a prayer filled with a longing to know him. Oh, God, that you would burst the heaven, that you would rend the heavens and come down, how the mountains would quake at your presence, then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame i i actually think that 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 translation misses it in isaiah 64 verse 2 what they translate as then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame in the new living translation is literally then they would know your name see yes in, in part isaiah 64 is a lament for god's reputation to be made known but the deeper lament is just for god to be made known for god to be known the word used in verse two for the word "know" is the word "yada," and "yada" is a Hebrew word that is less of a book knowing, like knowledge, information, and more of an experiential knowledge. In other words, to know God's name is to be intimate with God. The heart of "yada" is a loving that that brings a deep knowing and being known. This is the difference between a lament and complaining. The prayer of lament flows out of a love story. It's more than a discouraged cry for the absence of my heart. It's a desperate cry for the presence of my healer. Yadah is a nearness, a closeness, a familiarity that breeds friendship. You know, uh, let me just simply ask this question: Christmas question, is that what you want? I, I, I know it's mysterious. What does it even look like to actually be a friend of God? What what does it look like? How does it feel? What does it mean to experience the presence of God? And and I think the question I I just want to close with is simply this. Is that what you want? And I'm talking about something more, something deeper than a theological, I'm saved answer. I, I didn't ask you, do you go to church? I'm asking, do you want Jesus more than you want breath? Am I desperate for God? Do I lament for his presence in its absence, see, take away the gifts, turn off the lights, throw out the tree, and you can still experience Christmas. But without his presence, we're left groping for glory, homesick for hope. Let me encourage you in the days to come, cry out for more. Wrestle with God for more God, more glory, more hope, not just for you, for your family, for your neighbors, for our community, for our nation and our world. That's the cry of Christmas. Christmas. More, God, is your soul on the brink of a lament for God's presence. Let me pray. Oh, God, I pray that each and every person listening, oh, God, would you stir up a hunger in our hearts for your presence this Christmas, this season, even in those of us who feel like we have some hunger, maybe a lot of hunger, God, more. I, I pray that we would we would look around us in the communities, in the, the nation, in our culture, in our world, and our families, and just say, Oh God, we need more, God. Would you rend the heavens and come down? Jesus, would you show up this Christmas? We need your presence far more than we need presence. So, God, I pray for each of us. Would you stir up a hunger? Would you even give us some some moments of lamenting, <laughs> a desperate cry for the presence of our healer? God, would you cause us to want it? Would you show us in our souls how very much we want it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.